One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Welcome to Second Captains. It's Mark Horgan here alongside Ken Early and Murph. Say hello, lads. Hello, Mark. Mark. And hello, everyone at home. Johnny Sexton and Jason Quigley coming up on a brilliant show for you today, but... First of all, those poor, poor Liverpool fans. Mm. And to a lesser extent, those poor, poor Liverpool fans who just started to support Liverpool again and now will go back to not really watching the Premiership or knowing any of their team's players' names again. Wow. What a whirlwind two months they've had, though. Well, either yeah, of you two, two know people in that category? Yes. Yes, I, I know at least two names spring to mind immediately. <laughs> uh, two names perhaps not entirely unfamiliar to our listeners. But that's neither here nor there, Mark. Uh, they can go back to uh, anonymity, perhaps the sport of rugby, uh, will uh, no doubt welcome them back in, <laughs> into the fold with open arms. Second Cabin's football is already available for you to download and stream now, presented by Ken and Murph. And I have to say, lads, it's a real cracker. Well, really enjoyed it. Please. But for just for people who haven't listened to it yet, not me, I of course have, yes, have listened to it. Of course, it. I know, we <clears> know that, Mark. Uh, what Liverpool conclusions did you come to, Ken? Well, maybe, um, maybe the great thing about it is that it's almost as though Liverpool did win the league for about, Eight days, mm. about eight days or two weeks, maybe. That maybe that feeling after the Manchester City game, maybe that was enough. The sense of pretty much having won the league, and that's pretty all they much, can ever hope for. Pretty much having it in the bag, played the best football, scored the most goals, been involved Did it in the right way. great games, did, did it, it the, the right way, way beat Manchester all. City. Pretty much, it's in the bag. And there was a few days when it looked as though it was it was going to happen, and then of course it didn't happen. But does that matter? Mm. I mean, you know, the, the the manner in which they won the league <laughs> and then lost it. I mean, even if you do win the league, you know, it's it's only a couple of months that you, you're the champion and then you're, then you're right back to, to it's, square one. It's just a few minutes, you know, and then you move on to the next challenge. So really, what have you missed out on? You yeah. know, a few minutes of joy yeah. and then you're worried about your defending your title. More yeah. importantly, were the Suarez tears discussed? Uh, a little bit. I mean, we didn't get to see any Suarez here. So he pulled his shirt I've, up I've over his head. I've never seen a full-on shoulder shake like that. That was so. What was yeah. so brilliant about it? You know, you've seen yeah. tears in the pitch before, but never the kind of uh, child sobbing, who's just heaving, yeah. yeah the sobbing and heaving. In the yeah, yeah, it was really. It was. Um, it was kind of a couple of levels above. And your there wasn't average. really that from most of the players. Um, 
Gerard had a few though. tears. Yeah. Well, Gerard more had that sort of haunted look of anguish. Um, he kind of had that dist- in the, the tone beginning before the game started. Yeah, he looked a bit, a bit of a thousand years sorry, a bit of a broken man sort of appearance to him. But you know, uh, Suarez seems to care quite a lot about football. Uh, it turns out. I mean, there was a moment <clears throat> in the second half where there was a counterattack by Crystal Palace, and the Suarez was the last Liverpool defender. It was the deepest Liverpool player, uh, having run the entire length of the field. So that was kind of his his attitude to the game. I mean, uh, you know, well, actually, Roger said afterwards he wasn't sick. There was a talk that he he had some kind of a virus or something and didn't really play that well, but was putting everything into it. And I suppose is looking around the dressing room afterwards once he takes his head back out of his shirt and wondering how many of the other players really wanted it as much as he did I personally feel too much joy was taken in the demise of Liverpool literally within minutes uh, mm. hashtag bottlers was the main thing trending yeah. in Ireland straight away and it wasn't Liverpool or it wasn't Suarez crying or it wasn't Crystal Palace or anything like that yeah. it was just bottlers yeah mm. I mean I, I do find that the in no other sport is the failure of your rivals seemingly on a par with the success of your own team yeah I mean, it's a consolation maybe in other sports, you know, well, at least those guys didn't win. Yeah. Whereas it's it's seen as 100% on a par, right, if my team doesn't win, if yeah. the main rival, whether that's Liverpool in the case of Manchester United fans or whatever, if they fail, that's every bit as good as many out of winning the league. Yeah. That seems to me quite a strange... Oh, I think, I think in a way, better. I mean, it seems to me that the celebrations among <clears throat> Manchester United fans for what's happened to Liverpool here are far bigger than anything I saw last season when they won the title yeah it's kind of like an each it's way far bigger like yeah it's, well I mean this hasn't happened in in yeah. years the title became a kind of a humdrum thing yeah winning this, the league happens pretty much every year well yeah. the closing stages of the game itself reminded me greatly of 89 and the Michael Thomas goal and the pain that inflicted what commentary springs to mind uh, most when I mention 89 lads uh, Brian Moore's actual no of course not it's got to be John Aldridge 2008 uh, yeah, although in the Champions League quarterfinal in 2008 versus Arsenal, how evil was that laugh? Yeah, I mean, and you can hear there that most of his most of his actual pleasure, of the goal, is Arsenal's pain. Yeah, that's mostly what's made him it's happy. Basically, there. what we're talking about. Well, I thought it might be nice for Liverpool fans to take their minds off last night's heartache by listening to John Aldridge's insane commentary style alongside Steve Hothersell on Radio City Liverpool during arguably the high point of their season, the three-two win over Man City, and his style is simple. We heard it there. Every goal Liverpool score, scream as maniacally as you possibly can before laughing in an extremely sinister fashion. Here we go. Directed oh, towards Suarez. Suarez bundles off Clichy. Send it forward to Sterling. He's in the penalty area. He's gone hard to yeah! beat. Raheem Sterling. <laughs> oh, it's Raheem Sterling with the moment that they all dreamed of. Steven Gerrard with the corner this time. Left-hand side towards Scott. Yeah! Teams could win this throw in. Oh. Backwards by Clichy, it's an awkward area. Yeah! Yeah! 
<laughs> Brendan Rodgers has run onto the pitch. What a finish by Coutinho! go absolutely wild. John Aldridge describing the moment Liverpool won the league. Yeah, look, and that that was the way it was, and the the they continued to be the champions, beating Norwich, and. Right up until the kickoff in that Chelsea game. Yeah, I mean, it even had you know quite a similar arc to the actual championship race. You yeah. know, teams talisman and hero mix horrific error. Vincent Company. Yeah, slices that clearance. Yeah, uh, and uh, and you know, in the same way that Gerard. I mean, but we don't don't even need to talk about that Chelsea game. Let's just focus on the day Liverpool won the Premier League. Do you they think won, John Aldridge could be the most upset man Liverpool this morning? Hmm. It's going to hurt very badly for all of them. God, he I mean, loves Liverpool because there, there were people crying. You know, they showed. They showed there were people. Yeah, instantly weeping in the yeah. crowd last night. You know, um, yeah. uh, pretty, pretty. Frustrating. I mean, Miguel was talking to us about. Apparently, there was quite a few fights and so on at the stadium uh, because you could hear the Crystal Palace fans themselves were were quite. Uh, it wasn't as though this was some tame end of season. Fair, you Not know, they, the they were pretty delighted. Uh, I mean, I suppose there's this idea of having nothing to play for, you know, but you've everything to play for. You're part of a bit, you're part of the kind of unfolding destiny of the, mm. of the, it's a league. gift from the fixtures department, effectively. Yes, that mm. you get to Crystal play. Palace are actors in the story of, of what I, as opposed to just being marooned in irrelevance, they're, you know, shaping uh, what actually happens and doing so in, in great style. And then rubbing a little bit of salt in the wounds, as John Aldridge might say, uh, and there seemed to be a little bit of uh, a few disturbances after the game. Right, uh, we'll come back to Liverpool throughout the show, but a show packed full of superstars coming up. Delighted to say, Jonathan Sexton will join us exclusively from Paris to chat about his season, qualifying for the playoffs in the top fourteen, and his life over there and how he's enjoying it at the moment. And we'll speak also to the new golden boy of Irish professional boxing, Jason Quigley, who has signed with one of the biggest names in world boxing, uh, Oscar De La Hoya. So also, Murphy, if you can try not to just embarrass yourself by speaking to try and get a laugh out of Jason Quigley about how much he drinks. Do you remember that banter, Ken? Before yes, he's a, he's a professional boxer now. I mean, so that's fine. I understand that he needs to live a monk-like existence. and I won't Just don't ask him, did he go out in the lock when he got okay, the contract that's, signed? That's fine. Go, yeah. I, I guarantee you I won't ask him anything embarrassing, apart maybe from one question. Oh, oh hello. that, of course, is the official trademark second captain's wolf howl, and the wolf is howling inquisitively, Murph. You could hear it there. Mm. As there it was a sort of <laughs> upward tint to <laughs> the howl. <at> yours. <laughs> as it wants to know your favourite account with KBC Bank. Well, I don't mind telling Wolfie and the world, indeed, that my favourite bank account is KBC Bank's regular saver account. That's good energy there, Murph. Uh, and for the final time, with the help of KBC and the Irish Times, we're offering one of our beloved listeners the chance to win a €500 Euro cash prize. Uh, but there's so much more. And as a major darts fan, I don't think McDevitt was sufficiently excited about this, to mm. be honest, uh, because the money will come in a special limited edition Second Captain's Pibezo mug, along with a set of super slick, fully branded Second <gasps> Captain's Pibezo darts. And once again, we've been inspired by Bullseye, and many people have been in touch wondering about the metal containing mm. said darts. Mug. Well, yes, in answer to your questions, they are not tungsten darts, your regular metal darts made up, we believe, of brass or nickel-silver alloys. Arguably the best type of dart, or at least the cheapest dart, let's be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm sold anyway, Murph. So to enter the competition, just visit irishtimes.com forward slash second captains and click on the KBC link. For more information, visit the KBC regular saver page on kbc.ie. Terms and conditions apply, and I don't need to tell you, bank fans, that KBC Bank Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. I am a fan of banks. Okay, this weekend the French top 14 playoffs will take place and on Friday night Jonathan Sexton's Racing Metro will face Toulouse and I'm delighted to say the man himself joins us now. How are you doing, Johnny? Good, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, first of all. From a point where things appeared to be a bit grim earlier in the season for you, you've now got a Six Nations and a playoff spot in the bag. It's looking pretty good. Are you enjoying yourself over there? 
yeah, it's obviously we've, we've picked things up a good bit. Um, you know, around Christmas time, we were, we were struggling quite a bit. We had, you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of important players out, and it was difficult. Um, but now we've really we've come good, I suppose, except for last weekend. We had a bit of a blip. We, like we went, we reversed maybe four or five months in time um, and had another relapse of what we had been up to. But uh, other than that, we've been going really well. We've lost probably, you know, as few, we've lost nine games and too long the only other teams have lost as little, I suppose that sounds a loss maybe and you know, if you lost nine games the Rabo or the Premiership would be a, very, a loss but whatever way the season works here, it's just been um, you know, teams have just seemed to win their home games and um, it's just been a strange season With Racing, there were times this season when you appeared visibly frustrated with the team, perhaps the style of play with lots of up and unders earlier on wasn't ideal Has that changed as the season's gone on? Yeah, of course, listen it's um, the, that was partly due to the conditions. It was pretty, you know, over here can get as bad as at home, and yeah. um, you know some of the conditions I played in this year were, were far worse. Um, you know, so that had a lot to do with it. A lot to do with you know a few of the players uh, we had out. You know, we know Jamie Roberts, one Imhoff, or one Martin Hernandez in the back line, which you know from an attacking point of view are probably our three best attacking players. Um, so you know we had, we had injuries at scrum half as well, which which causes a, a few problems. So um, yeah, listen, it was very frustrating. You know, I, I like to, to to play as much as possible with the ball in hand, but you know the, the conditions dictate that, and you know personnel that you have outside you dictate that as well. So um, yeah, it was frustrating, but now the, the weather's good, and like I said, those players, those very important players for us are are back and it's uh, it's been a lot more enjoyable for except you, for last weekend when we took a bit of a hammering yeah for you personally does how your rugby is going does that completely affect the rest of your life like can you still be enjoying Paris and, and everything that has to offer if you're not completely happy with your game well yeah I probably shouldn't but uh, <laughs> some people are built differently some people can just switch off and, I'm basically you know, asking you if, if you're a pain in the arse if you're not playing well Johnny <laughs> yeah you can ask other people that I'm sure I'll say yes um no, I think, look, um, like I said, some people are the reverse. If they're not happy in their life, they won't perform in their job, and that's normal, and it's the same. If you care enough about your job, um, it'll affect you when you're at home. It'll affect everything. Um, so, you know, obviously, it shouldn't probably work like that. You know, the most important thing is your you know, your family and your, your life in general, but, uh, you know, we're professional athletes because we're built a certain way, and, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, that's the way I am. Um, so... Uh, yeah, it was frustrating and it probably did affect living in Paris and how much you enjoyed it uh, over here. Yeah, and, and like you, you spoke about how you struggled in the early parts of the season. What was it? Was it like all? Was it all the rugby, or was it homesickness? Was it the language? What was it? Or was it a combination? I think it was a combination at the start. It's uh, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, you come over, you're in a new country, you don't know anybody. Uh, you're trying to build relationships with guys. You're trying to, you know, build a relationship with them professionally, you know, on the pitch and in training. But you're also trying to get to know them off the pitch. And when you can't speak the same language as those people, it's it's kind of tough. And uh, that's what people don't realise is, you know, how tough that language barrier is. And yeah. um, no matter how much you work at it before you come or how much you work at it in the early stages, it, it's going to take time to to come. And we had 14 players that were in that world. Um, you know, we had coaches that were in the same world as well. They come from cast. They brought all new backroom staff, and they were all going through the same thing. So, uh, yeah, it was a recipe for disaster. I think, the, uh, you know, the president publicly said that he changed too much too soon. Um, so that was, uh, it was always going to be tough at the start, but I didn't think it would be as tough as it was. And, 
you know, like I said, then we, you know, we obviously bit by bit our performances have improved. We've had guys come back from injury, and uh, you know, it's a better place to be now. Did you personally have any particular low point that you can remember? No, look, there's obviously there's highs and lows. You know, there's um, you know the weekend was obviously a big low. We just come off the back of you know five or six victories in a row. We've been playing really well, and then um, we got into Montpellier. We got a couple of scores behind, and um, you know a couple of guys threw in the towel, which is you know frustrating. And um, of course, it was a home quarter final, which is very important over here because you know we only needed a losing bonus point to to get that home quarter final, and um, you know we we didn't. Uh, we didn't fight strong enough after, you know, we didn't have a lot of luck either. We conceded about three or four tries from turnovers and interceptions and, and whatnot, but um, that's part of the game and you got to bounce back from it. You would have been a, um, a vocal participant and an influencer in Leinster, so when something like that happens, when, when players throw in the towel, do you, are you in a position now in Racing where you feel you can have a big influence, that you, you can actually instruct these people and tell them where they're going wrong? Um, no, probably not as... Uh, Probably not as much as as I would like. Um, I don't think they they react quite the same um, over here. You know, probably we don't know each other as well as you know when when I was with Leinster, we were, I suppose, best friends. Um, you know, off the pitch, we knew each other inside out. And when a guy had a go at you, it wasn't you knew it wasn't personal. And uh, you know, it was it stayed on the pitch. Whereas over here, I think they, you know, if you have a go at someone, I think they view it as a as a personal assault. So you can't really. Uh, <laughs> You can't really act the same, so you've had to, you know, I suppose it's been a good learning curve for me, and also, you know, <laughs> my my French is getting better, but it's uh, it's not at the stage where I can, you know, fluently, um, you know, say what I want to say, and, you know, that's frustrating, it's, still at this point, it's quite frustrating. It sounds to me like you've had to bite your lip a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> of course, um, yeah, so I've needed to improve on that for quite a number of years, <laughs> um, it's taken me to come over here and... I have a language barrier put in front of me to finally learn it but uh, no I think at times you you need to, con- to control that and you know I, when I was in Leinster I wasn't I wasn't the only one jeez we had, we had great you know leaders throughout the team that mm. you know dr- drove the standards you know the Leo Collins Shane Jennings Brian O'Driscoll these type of guys Sean O'Brien you know these were the characters that drove the, drove the, the whole organisation on and um there was there was obviously a group of us who wasn't it was never just one person or it was never just one cranky so and so it was always there was always a good few you know what I mean so um, yeah. that was obviously um, a big uh, ingredient in, in Leinster's success was having those type of characters in the, in the team. Speaking of Leinster's success, you said earlier this season that for you there was a huge discrepancy between your international and club records and nothing but success with Leinster and mainly bad times with Ireland. Now, now that you've you've won something at something big at international level, how does that compare? Yeah, it's great, obviously, to finally get something. Like I said, at the start of the season, I, I was very lucky to be a part of a Leinster team that had, you know, we won six trophies in a, in a short time and, you know, we got to, I think, nine final, eight or nine finals and, um, you know, in Ireland we had, you know, I suppose from, from the moment I broke in, I wasn't part of the Grand Slam winning team, so it was sort of failure after failure with the, with the same players and it was frustrating, but obviously to win a championship was, was great. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a, I suppose, a, you know, a small achievement, um, you know, but you always want what you can't have. And, yeah. you know, Grand Slam went to miss against England. Obviously, we regret from that game. I do personally as well as, you know, collectively. And, um, 
you know, we missed playing a triple crane and a grand slam as well. So there's always something else to aim for. And, um, yeah, I'm glad that I've finally got a medal in a green jersey. Um, but I hope it's just the start of a, of a sort of few-year period where we can, um, you know, dominate the Six Nations and go to the World Cup with with high aspirations. And, um, you know, I think we've got the, the right man in charge. And, you know, we've got players coming into their prime um, in, in key positions. So I think it's uh, it bodes well if we can stay injury-free and, and keep that hunger and motivation up as well. There seemed to be a real closeness uh, amongst the Irish team in the Six Nations. Did you get that sense as well? It was like almost like it was a club side. And does that does success bring that, or was it there before you started on your role this year? No, I think. Listen, I think Joe has to take you know a huge amount of credit for um, you know what happened in the Six Nations. I think you know, I, I, I said that. You know, I think if France were co- if he if he was coaching France, I think you know they would have won the championship. If he was coaching England, I think they would have won the championship. So he has to take a lot of credit. But at the same time, I think we were building something quite nice last year, and then you know we had a good end to the Autumn Internationals, beat Argentina well, we had a good start to the Six Nations, we beat Wales well, and then you know one by one players just seemed to fall injured, and uh, you know it was very frustrating because we felt we had something special building last year. So mm. you know, I think. Um, you know, there is a part to play there. I think we can, you know, Joe takes huge credit, but at the same time, I thought we were, you know, we had that same team spirit last year and same sort of camaraderie. Um, but obviously this year, we took it to a new level. And, uh, you know, what's most pleasing was that we had injuries as well this year, but we just coped better with them. You know, we had five or six sort of world-class players that were injured, and that only bodes well for the future as well, if these guys can get back and, you know, make the squad more competitive. You always speak so positively about Joe. Was it was it unusual going back, uh, being reunited with him again, you know, with the player and coach relationship, or did you just slot in normally? Yeah, I think it's, look, it's business as usual. Um, I think it's, um, he's obviously, you know, he was outstanding to work with Leinster, and it was a, obviously a big um, regret of mine to, to leave uh, you know, leaving a coach of that caliber because uh, I, you know, thoroughly enjoyed going training every day, um, and I was excited about going training. And I think someone like Brian O'Driscoll said the same. And he's, you know, had, you know, that this was in his 14th, 15th year of his career. So, um, you know, that was a big regret of mine. So for him to get the job was obviously a bonus, and um, it was great to see the other province, the guys in the other provinces, get to work with him and see how much you know he improved them. You know, someone like Andrew Trimble, who's you know, had the season of his life. I'm sure he'll attribute a lot of that uh, success to, to to what he picked up in, in camp and, um, you know, the standards that were set for him. So, um, yeah, obviously I can't speak highly enough of, of the organisation and Kissy as well. And, um, you know, Plum, John Plumtree came in and did, you know, great jobs as well. So it's been, it was very much a team effort. I often see Rog, Johnny, tweeting about Munster playing in the Heineken Cup. Uh, how have you found watching Leinster? Um... <laughs> It's been strange, I suppose, watching Leinster in the Heining Cup, and you're not involved at all. You know, I've obviously watched uh, Leinster, many Leinster games before, but I was always part of the organisation, and I knew what they were trying to achieve. I knew what you know the game plan was. I, you know, I, I was in the dressing room all week, but it is very strange. You're going in, you don't know, you know, you don't know what the mood in the camp is like. You don't know what the game plan is. It, it is very strange to to watch it as an outsider, but. Um, Obviously, there's, uh, you know, it brings a lot of, you know, different emotion, it brings back good memories, um, you know, of all the success we had in that competition where, when I was there. And, um, yeah, we don't like to see the guys lose either, um, you know, uh, this year. Um, 
Yeah, so it kind of brought back, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, it's those big days that you miss the most, I think, those big Heineken Cup days, and um, you know, or, or in the RDS or the Aviva or, you know, big away game. They're the, they're the days that, yeah, I suppose, you know, they have to play for Leinster. Yeah, I know you're going to say you always want them to win, but when you're watching when you're watching them, would a part of you would have been hurt if they had a, if they had a won the European Cup without you? Of course, that's, I suppose that's just normal. It's, you know, you like, you know, every athlete is proud and they they want to feel that they were missed and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the same time, these guys are, um, you know, still some some of my mates and uh, you know you'd like to see them do well. I'm sure they'll finish the season strongly now and um, you know try and. Uh, you know, get another Rabo direct in the in the bag. Um, you know, they're in obviously a very strong position. They've got a home semi final, and uh, you wouldn't bet bet against them. Um, you know, with two home games left. Um, you know, semi final, final, two home fixtures. So, um, you know, to send obviously Brian and, and Leo off in the best way possible, uh, it would be great for um, for them to win another trophy. Yeah, ju- just looking ahead to the uh, looking ahead, Johnny. I read today that that uh, Ronan will be signing a two year deal with Racing, and he's ruled out a return to the back room uh, in Munster. He was saying how much he and his family love the lifestyle out there, and how much they've adapted to it now and are enjoying it. So, you're in a two year contract with an option to extend. Do you do you feel that's something now that you'll you'll properly consider? I don't know. Um, you know, they're they're keen to sort of get 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 talking now, and I've just sort of said let's wait till the end of the season, and uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll it's, a, it's a family decision now. You know, mm. you know, we've got a baby on the way, me and Laura, and uh, you know, it'll very much be you know, let's see how that how that goes with having a, having a kid here, and not having grandparents and aunties and uncles look after it, and. Uh, you know what I mean? So we just have to see how, how that goes for the next uh, few months. Um, all being well, touch wood, and uh, then we'll we'll sit down and see see what the options are then. So um, it's much more a personal, a family decision as opposed to whether you succeed in the playoffs or anything like that. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, you, you're you don't make decisions based uh, on one game or, or two games. Obviously, um, you know, from a professional point of view, things are much better here, and um, there's still a long way to go. And uh, there's still some frustrations. There's still days where it's been it's great and you love it and you know the the lifestyle and stuff. But there's still massive things I miss from home. Um, you know, I was home last week, got a week off, and uh, you know you you quickly get back into that routine of uh, <laughs> meeting up with the lads and you know going for lunch and you, you remember the good old days. But um, you know, there's uh, like a lot of rugby to be played. You know, the Argentina tour as well. So um, you know, it's way till everything settles down in the summer and then I start to think about it it's tough not to think about it though it's uh, it does occupy a lot of your time thinking about whether you'll you'll go home or whether you'll stay or, you know what I mean but you have to wait to see what the options are Rog was quick to cut your French language skills to ribbon, ribbons on our TV show last year by the way so uh, are you at his level yet? I saw that yeah uh, <laughs> that was early stages now so um, he sort of ditched the French classes he thinks he's he thinks he's fluent, and you know he's in the coaches there speaking speaking French. He doesn't use tenses, but he can get his point across. But he's uh, no, he's listen. He's uh, he spent a bit of time here when he was when he was younger, and he, he had the lingo pretty quick. Um, Once you both are perfect at castigating other players in French, then you'll know you've got a perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that though. Um, no, we saw Ronan signed. Yeah, two years, so it's uh, fantastic for for him and fantastic for the club. Does. They, they nailed him down. Obviously, there, were, there was always going to be rumours about him going to 
going back to, to Munster, you know, once there was any type of, you know, vacancy there. But, mm. you know, he's very happy here. His kids, they're picking up the language really quick as well. Um, they've got the accents and, you know, they're loving life here. So, um, you know, he's very happy and he'll be here for another two years, which is, like I said, very important for the club. And do you sense that he's having a great influence on the club as well? Do you Is, is, he, is his voice yeah. starting to be heard at a, at a high enough level? Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, one of the big improvements we've made is, um, you know, the coaches... They, brought, they gave him a you know a bigger role within the squad. You know he took charge of our defence and took charge of certain things in our, in our game and uh, you know paid massive dividends. I think it was the turnaround in our season was when he took a bigger role within the squad. So um, you know he's obviously very early in his uh, coaching stages, but already he's um, you know making quite an impression on, on the guys in Racing and he's very popular amongst the, the changing room. You know amongst you know the the Welsh contingent we have, he played with them on the Lions, so they know he's a good character, and um, you know he, you know the guys play for him. I think that's one of the key things is that they like him and they get on well with him. And you know he has he's a hard taskmaster at times and, um, in terms of the video reviews, but you need that in in a coach. You need him to be stern and um, tell people what they're doing wrong, and you know he's so he's ticking all the boxes, which is great. Yeah, it's great to hear. And before we let you go, Johnny, you mentioned it a few minutes ago. Um, the indications from Joe Schmidt have been that the the some of our players are going to be rested for the tour of Argentina, but it sounds like you want to go. Yeah, I'd love to go. Yeah, you know, I missed um, quite a lot of games last year in the Six Nations with injury, and you know, every you know cap you get for Ireland is important, and every catch you know you want you want you want to play for Ireland. It's um, it's it's a massive you know motivation to play for Ireland every chance you get. So yeah, I'll be I'll be uh, ready to go. Like I said, I've had a few holidays since the new year um, you know I was pretty tired at the start of the year played a lot of games I played something like 13 games in a row week in week out so um, but since then I've had a week off before the Six Nations um, a week off after, two weeks off after the Six Nations so you know I feel fresh and you know I'm very much looking forward to going to Argentina if selected so we'll see what Joe wants me to do Yeah we'd love to see you over there Johnny best of luck against Toulouse thanks so much for taking the time and uh, we'll speak to you again soon Thanks a lot I want to book a holiday I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want, no, I have to be beach ready. So I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple. So you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-515253 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. It does sound to me like Johnny there has watched quite a lot of Leinster this season. What do you think? Mm. Well, <laughs> well, I, mean, I suppose it is only natural that you would you know, have a passing interest in how your former club is doing. It kind of sounds that maybe Johnny might not have missed one minute of any Leinster yeah, game. his knowledge of his old club season was pretty clear there. He kind of yeah. spiked up as soon as we started talking about Leinster. Yeah. He well, could dissect exactly where they've gone wrong so far this season. He's basically been doing his own little sort of video analysis, analysis sessions on Leinster games every Monday morning with a sort of ritual zeal maybe really interesting sure. stuff though from Johnny he's always very honest uh, particularly about his racing teammates who threw in the towel it seems uh, they're very lucky he isn't fluent yet is all yeah, yeah. There's, there's just basically another three months of French grammar practice between them and a lifetime of getting shouted at a lot by Johnny Sexton now in case you're watching it this weekend Murph I don't need to tell you how the French top 14 playoffs work do I? Uh, well obviously you don't need to tell me but perhaps there are some <laughs> listeners out there who may not be 
Uh, entirely au fait with the barrage system. Uh, okay, so it's down to the top six now. And teams that finish first and second are automatically in the semis. And this weekend, teams that finish from third to sixth will play off against each other. Third place, sixth, and fourth place, fifth. And the winners get the other semi final spots. So Racing finished fifth, and so play away to Toulouse this Friday. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to say it's, uh, it's well explained. the American football playoffs. Now, uh, Mark, well played. And now, Ken, time to sell your football show that's available right now. That's. Yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, I'll say it to you, say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man. <laughs> uh, choking, Mark, there's a lot of it about. Uh, there's uh, uh, five teams really choking over the weekend five big big teams Liverpool uh, Chelsea uh, Barcelona Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid all uh, busily choking over the weekend Um, the lessons that we can draw from it are that if you are going to choke do so in as dreary and dismal a way as possible so as to avoid attracting attention the wrong way to do it is the way that Liverpool did it last night Um, uh, you know goals fireworks chaos uh, controversy and the eyeballs of the world uh, turned to them. Whereas Chelsea, it's it's like they they choked alone uh, with any with, without anybody even mm. watching. Without they anybody. bored us into submission, and then we actually just wanted to stop talking about them. They were that boring. Um, yeah. So I mean, there, there's different ways of of achieving the same outcome. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Obviously, Manchester City may may still have a surprise in store. Mm. That really would be that the king would be of, a big oh, surprise. Overshadowed the choking of the previous weekend. Uh, all ends up. Why isn't yeah. it a possibility? By the way, it's almost—it's just seemed like a foregone conclusion that they're absolutely going to win. It would—it would be impossible to countenance the fact that Liverpool could, in any way, draw the match from the position they're in last night. Yeah, you know, it's more likely—it's more likely for City to choke now than it was for Liverpool to choke with eleven minutes to go. Possibly, possibly it is because obviously suddenly it's City's—it's in the bag. Mm. Yeah, only. Uh, Monumental I, choke. Who's to blame? Who's to blame? All those Irish fans, all the Irish Liverpool fans who are out there who are hurting today, who should they point the finger of blame to Ken? I'll tell you. Irish international Damien Delaney. Oh, yeah, Damien Delaney. Yeah, what, well, who is he trying to it was impress? Ne- it was never happening. It was never yeah. happening for Crystal, <laughs> Crystal Palace if that goal hadn't gone in. It was yeah. deflection, it was, you know, a bit of Clubbed luck. Clubbed in by Damien Delaney, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of blame to go around. It would be difficult. I imagine Glenn Johnson maybe might get some of the blame for last night as well. For his stepping back? For, for, um, for not goals really getting close to Delaney. Three. No, it was goals, one and two. Goals one. Yeah, and the second goal, he yeah. should have just backed off yeah. uh, Balassi rather than driving rather than in. And then on the third goal, he was too far away from yeah. him. I think we've found our skip. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. We're not the best night for Grandjohns. All right, the last time we spoke to Jason Quigley was in the aftermath of his remarkable silver medal in the World Championships in Kazakhstan last October. And his performance has obviously grabbed the attention of some pretty important people in the boxing world too, because just last week it was confirmed that Jason would turn pro and join the Golden Boy stable of Oscar De La Hoya. And I'm delighted to say our newest professional middleweight joins us now. Jason, how are you doing? How's the form? How's Great, thank you. And congratulations, first of all. I, I have to say, we didn't think it was any huge surprise that you were going to turn pro. Maybe with De La Hoya it was, but not turn pro in general. Because in a lot of your interviews over the past year or so, I've heard you refer to how you want to achieve not just medals in the amateurs and also how you eventually want to become a world champion in the pros. So has it always been something that's, that motivated you a little more maybe than some of your Irish amateur teammates, do you think? Ah, yeah. Like it's, uh, as I said, like it's... 
the world championships and European championships and everything is, was massive for me. It was a great achievement and I was so happy to do well. And But the the real excitement in boxing to me is, is professional and nothing the world a world professional belt like that's that's what uh, that's what excites me and that's what I got into boxing for as a young kid you know to to become the champion of the world by watching the likes of Marco Antonio Barrera and the likes of them mm. on TV you know and what's what's the big draw the main big draw of being a pro for you I'm sure cash is probably one up one that's up there but what are the ideal kind of situations or scenarios that you picture yourself in if this all works out to be honest, it's really topping balls in the MGM Grand Las Vegas and just lifting that belt above your head and just the years of hard work and disappointments and mm. hard graft, everything, all the years of everything put together about being a boxer, just it's all worthwhile. It all pays off and it's just... To, be, to become a world champion, that's what I set out in boxing to become and that's what would be the end goal for me is becoming champion of the world. And you come from a big boxing household, obviously, and you mentioned Barrera there. So presumably quite a few of your heroes were, were pro fighters. Who did you kind of look up to when you were growing up and, and who are you, I suppose, looking to, to style yourself on? Well, as as I said, like growing up, it was always Marco Antonio Barrera. It was just something... He always caught me. He always excited me to watch him, and uh, it's kind of a strange choice that he'd be he'd be your number one. Oh, yeah, definitely it is. I think it's the the time he he fought in the same Hamid, you know, really put him on the mark for me because, of course, the wars he had with Eric Morales yeah. as well was something else. But you know, he, he's such a humble and he's such a gentleman outside the ring, and you know, Hamid was given a lot of mouth and. <laughs> doing all this to him before and he always stayed quiet and he, he done his talking in the ring and he's such a he's such a well-educated fighter as well like I think he's a lawyer as well outside yeah. the ring you know so just all them wee things put together really uh, really made him my number one you know but like looking at boxing now and, and the and the era that I'm going into like it's Floyd Mayweather's the man like you know what I mean there's there's nobody out there that's beat him, he, everybody that's put on against him, everybody says, oh, this is the man that's going to beat Floyd Mayweather, but 46 people tried and 46 people failed, and he always comes up with the, the recipe to one, and, you know, any young boxer looking at boxing has to be looking at Floyd Mayweather, because he is the best in the game, and, all right, he may, he may be a bit of a showman, and a bit of a, he likes to say what he thinks a lot, and, you know, but that's uh, that's what I think sales have home tickets. You know, I think more than half half of the people that buy pay per view and everything to watch them are watching them to get beat. And I don't know if I don't know if he's being like that because he knows that he's going to get the pay per view followers and all because of his arrogance and everything. I don't know, but you know, all I do is look at him inside the ring, and he's a class act and. Boxers have to idolise that, like. Yeah, we, you know, we might go back to his fight against Maidan on Saturday in, in a little while. But first of all, um, I'm really interested to know uh, how you came to the decision to join De La Hoya. When did people start approaching you to turn pro, Jason? As soon as I touched back down in Ireland after the World, World Championships, Champions. you know, my phone was flat out. I was <laughs> everything was flat out. You know, it was just go, go, go. As soon as I came back, but as soon as I came back, I. 
I switched my phone off and me and my girlfriend went away on a holiday out to Lanzarote and just chilled out. And that's just something that that had to be done at the time, you know, because it was just hectic, like, and I needed to get away from it a wee bit because you can get caught up in these kind of things and you just needed to get away and relax and chill out. And I got away and I came back and I got my head back down into training again and I had a nice Christmas as well with my family and everything. It was lovely. And as soon as January came around the corner again, it was before that, like, my father has dealt with everything. Dad is dealing with everything, you know, contract-wise and everything like that. And uh, as soon as I came back and Dad got on the ball with everything and started letting me know what was on the table and stuff like that. And, of course, after Christmas then, I was itching to get back into the ring. I really wanted to get back at it again. And uh, the Irish Senior Championships were coming up, but... I kind of had it set in my mind that I wanted to go professional and, you know, I didn't want to be entering the Irish Senior Championships thinking I want to go professional, you know, I wanted mm. to give it 110% no matter what I did and my mind was made up to go professional, to be honest, but uh, I think it's the great thing about having my father behind me is because he's blood, he's family and no matter if I did get the best deal out there, he would have wanted to go and get a better deal again because I'm his son, mm. you know, and that was the kind of confidence that I had in him. And I knew just to let him go, do what he had to do, and I knew whatever he came back with was what was the best possible contract and best possible future for me. And I'm absolutely over the moon and delighted with the, with the contract and deal that I've got. Yeah, and we heard that there was a huge amount of offers from all over the world for you as well. So why Delahoya? He just said it, Delahoya. That's that's why because the man's a boxing legend, hero. He's he's been in the game for so long. He's been in the amateur game, won an Olympic gold medal. Like the man, the man's unbelievable at the sport. And there's loads of there's loads of promotions out there that don't have that have educated men running them, you know, but not educated men inside the ring. And that's what Oscar is, and that's what he brings to the table. Like, Oscar knows what it's like for a boxer to get into that ring. He knows what kind of pressures to put on a fighter, what pressures he shouldn't have on him getting into the ring. And he'll know how to look after a fighter because I'm sure there was a few things that when he was growing up and his promoters, whatever, might not have treated him the way that he wanted. And I know that he's going to put the best into his boxers now that the mistakes that he learned from you know Yeah and obviously Delahoy is the face of Golden Boy but a company of that size there's, there's 79 pros in the stable um, we've heard it'll have many more important individuals involved like Richard Schaefer for one what what sort of role do you foresee Delahoy taking in your career do you think will he be hands on will he be a mentor to you or will will you have pretty limited dealings with him Well to be honest like any time I had to deal with Golden Boy Oscar's been there every time you know, any meetings that we had, any conversations that we had, Oscar was there 100%. He was there every single time and he was there giving his opinion and everything like that, you know. And Oscar is involved 110%, the same as the rest of the co-owners and everything of Golden Boy. So describe your meeting with him then, um, Jason. <sighs> to be honest... <laughs> As soon as I walked in, I couldn't believe it. I seen him. It was a, I was a wee bit gobsmacked now whenever I seen him. But uh, there's nothing, nothing I can say about the man. He's an absolute gentleman, so down to earth, and you know he just says like 
we're going to take things at your pace. He says, we're not going to be rushing nothing on you. He says, you're a young, top amateur that's going to need to break himself into the professional game. And he says, that's what we're going to do. He says, but we're not going to be throwing bombs at you and taking them out in the first round. He says, we're going to be testing you from early on. He says, like, because that's what I want. Like, I don't want to be getting in there with guys and taking them out of there in 30 seconds. You know, of course, if I can do it, brilliant. But I want to be put in there with good caliber of fighters and uh, get my reputation built up very quickly. And, you know, it would be great then, hopefully, someday to take a major title fight back to Ireland. And does missing out on Rio hurt at all? Um, and also, uh, did, have you spoken to Billy Walsh about it? And, and what did he say to you? Oh, well, there's... Like, of course, we had conversations with Billy, like, and, of course, the Irish Sports Council, high performance, Billy and the coaches up there, you know, they took me on very nicely and uh, gradually took me on. You know, I was always number two in Ireland, and whenever I became number one, that was the turning point. Like, when I was number two, Billy and everyone was taking me to the high performance. They were taking me to multi-nation tournaments, and... You know, I was doing well, I was learning, I was getting a lot of experience and then every tournament I was going to, I was starting bringing back gold medals and I went in and became number one in my country and it just blasted onto the scene from there. Like I went and won the European Championships, world silver medal, beat the world champion. You know, things went went really well and I can do nothing but thank Billy, Zor, the high-performance team, the Irish Sports Council for everything they've done for me in the past and... You know, it, it's my career and there's no point in me staying amateur if I want to be professional because I won't be giving it 110%. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I had to make the decision and I made the decision and Billy wished me all the best and I just want to wish them all the best too and they're built up to Rio now and, you know, of course, missing out in the Olympics is it's, it's a big thing but my main goal and dream was always to become a world professional champion like it's uh, that's what's deep down inside me. That's the that's the fire that's burning inside my belly, you know. And to miss out in Rio, Rio only became became a dream of mine whenever it became a possibility. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I was doing well and I was one, and then people were saying, "Oh, you could make the Olympic Games and everything." And then that's the first time I actually started thinking. Jesus, it's possible I could go to the Olympic Games, but it was never—it was never my desire, never my hunger. You know what I mean? It was always to become a professional world champion. I get the impression you and your dad Connor have spoken about being a pro champion quite a few times over the years. Is he going to be in your corner? Oh, hundred and ten percent. The man's been there. <laughs> and my first fight <laughs> didn't even have a medal card. It was a wee flapper show in my hometown here. Like he's been there from day one and. No matter if I was away in, with the Irish team or anything like that, you know, he was always ringing me on Skype and Viber and going over tactics and who will be fighting. Like, he's always been involved and there's nobody out there that knows me better than my father and uh, there's nobody out there that I could trust more in my corner as a professional than my father and he's definitely going to be the number one coach without a doubt. Speaking about coaching, your style seems to suit the pros. I think most people appreciate that. You can mix it, you can box. Um, and often when boxers turn pro, questions are, are asked more about their durability and their chin and if they can, they can uh, you know, withstand the duration of the rounds, etc., etc. Do you feel you've tested that lot out already or is it basically what your pro training camps will be for? Well, every time you get under the ring as a senior boxer, everything's being tested, your chin, your durability, 
you know, you'd be in with boxers, you'd be in with rough, tough fighters, and everything gets tested, you know, but obviously I haven't been tested over five rounds. Like, I've went five rounds in the World Series of Boxing. I came through it with a very good one over a Belarusian boxer, and I've never been over five rounds, so that question just can't be answered because I've never been tested over five rounds. But I know for a fact, like, it, it won't be for the one to try in or I'm going to be in a 110% physical condition every time I get into that ring because this is my job, this is my life, this is what I've done since I was a young kid. And uh, <laughs> it's just these things are going to answer themselves in the future, but uh, hopefully the answers will be all good and <laughs> I'll be able to take a shot and everything like that. Yeah, so when are you going to start? We're hearing a debut fight on the undercard of a show in the MGM Grand uh, on July 12th. Could be a possibility. Is that likely to happen? Well, uh, I haven't really heard nothing about it. I've I've been told that uh, I'll be making my debut in July. Okay. It could be early July, they said, was a possibility. But uh, what show or what undercard is on, I'm not 100%. And uh, Golden Boy have obviously been busy with the Mayweather-Maidana fight. So uh, maybe next week now I'll get a confirmation on uh, where and when and uh, what undercard I'll be on. MGM Grand would be okay though, wouldn't it? That's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the dream to top that place, you know, and to be the top fight there. So uh, to have my first pro fight there, just get in there, see what it's like, get the feel of things. It's going to be a massive experience. If that pulled off, it'll be it'll be the perfect professional debut, you know, in the MGM Grand under the undercard of Canelo. That'll be... That's what boxers dream of, especially young professionals just starting out in the game. It'll be a dream come true, you know, but I don't really care where it is or when it is. I'm just looking forward to getting my career on the road and reaching my goals. And more importantly, more important than than your coach, more important than being in the MGM Grand, more important than when it's going to start, I presume you've chosen your nickname, have you? I haven't, and you can Murph, put it out there. You Murph, can put it. Actually, Jason, Murph has a few suggestions here for you. Just a few now, and you know, right. uh, no finder's fee required for this. Jason, bad intentions, Squiggly. <laughs> I mean, I know money is taken. Like that <laughs> is taken. Uh, Jason, mind your business, Quigley. <laughs> Jason, quit playing, Quigley. I like that one now. Quit playing, Quigley. That's not bad, bro. That's yeah. not bad. Just, basically, as long as it's not Irish, Jason, Quigley. We're just uh, we're, we're just hoping for something better than that. <laughs> we're gonna have to mix it up and come out with something original, definitely. Business time. <laughs> <laughs> what what did you make of uh, Mayweather's walk on against Maidan on Saturday? Lil Wayne and Justin Bieber on his side there. Well, the only the only way I can look at it is, uh, you know, people say you surround yourself with successful people to be successful. Yeah. You know, Mayweather surround himself was one of the. Two best known, one little way in the bet, one of the best known rappers, and Justin Bieber is a top singer. Like, but you know, I think uh, Bieber's actions recently haven't been the best, and to have that man walking on along, <laughs> he wouldn't be, Listen, wouldn't be uh, like an idol or anything like that. But uh, if you're talking about surrounding yourself with successful people from Donegal, I'm thinking Enya and Jim McGuinness beside you when you're coming out for your first <laughs> fight. It's the perfect combination. <laughs> That would be, that would that would uh, that would fairly hit the papers now. If that <laughs> so you're still in Donegal at the moment. Uh, I take it, Jason. When are you? When's the training camp going to start in the states, or when are you going to move over there? 
Well, my training camp is starting now, you know. Yeah. If uh, if it is the 12th of July, it's 10 weeks out now. So my training camp started there on Monday. You know, I'm training every day now, twice a day, getting in shape. And as uh, soon as I know my date now for July, I'll be going out there and I'll have four full weeks of world-class top sparring out there before my fight. So maybe the end of May, start of June, will be when I head to America again. Okay, well, congratulations again. We wish you the very best and we'll be rooting for you. Jason, thanks so much for talking to us. No problem, sir. Thank you. Oh, Murph, I shouldn't have mentioned any there, should I? Jason's yeah. 20. Jason Quigley's 22. He doesn't know who any is. <laughs> He'd be more about Rihanna or Azalea Banks or one of those. Well, neither of them are from Donegal. Well... No, no, they're not. No, no. Neither of them are from Donegal. Big and, big and Donegal. I'm sure but that they are. Not from Donegal. Yeah, not well. So I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is there a teenage idol out there? You know, from Donegal that Jason could sort of could Tweet, commandeer. Tweet us at second captains, let us know. Do you not feel a little bit guilty, by the way? Well, about the nicknames. I'm just trying to suck up to Jason Quigley or nicknames chat. You know. <laughs> well, well. well I mean, what's, I, Andy, what's Andy Lee going to think? Well, Andy, Andy listens to the show. I know Andy Lee. There's a new middle middleweight in the scene, and Murph's oh, okay, Jason, can I pick your nickname? <laughs> and by the way, well, don't think he would have noticed that dig about Irish. Uh, what's Andy Lee's nickname? What? It's Irish Andy Lee. Is it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't well, actually. Well, maybe I didn't actually know that. I just know Andy is Andy. You know, friend of the show. So. <laughs> so. Well, do you want to? Do you want to? I, I think have you got Irish. A for Andy if he's listening? Yeah, I think Irish Andy Lee is a great nickname. Saw, Irish Jason Quigley is terrible. But I saw Irish Anthony Moyles and, and Irish Andy Lee talking about Aidan Gillen's Irish accent in the, in Calvary. Needs Anthony Moyles and Irish Andy Lee. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't think they. They were wondering why Aidan Gillen, he was from Ireland, can't, can't seem to do an Irish accent. I think Andy Lee thought the film was vulgar <laughs> <laughs> and exploitative. Speaking of vulgar, did you did you both see the the walk on uh, Floyd Mayweather's walk on Ken? Did you see it? I did no. actually. He see walked it, on uh, in his fight against Maidana this weekend with Lil Wayne, uh, oh, yeah. rapping beside him, and then Justin Bieber on the other side. Lil Wayne and Justin Bieber. Yeah. Wow. I don't. I didn't see what's vulgar about that. Well, I've been I think thinking. It sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I've been thinking about it actually, Murph. Mm. You know, and I was, if you were to. I was just thinking who yeah. your walk-on companions would be. Okay, yeah. And obviously it's idea. quite clear. You know who your singing companion is going to be. It's going to be Big Tom. Big Tom. Away. So well, big I Tom, thought one of the thought actors, but you've gone a little... Big, big Tom on one side. And there. then as for a younger star who you're always trying to be associated with, you know, like Floyd's okay. Justin Bieber, yeah, yeah. it's obviously going to be Joe Canning. Yeah, well, <laughs> what a lineup. Heavyweight. Very yeah. much heavyweight. It is, yeah. Big Tom, me and Joe Canning. That's about 50 stones worth of... Rural beef there. I well, like. The, I like the I, sound of that. I was thinking Ken, you know, because he's an Irish Times stalwart now at this stage. He yeah. could just be accompanied into the ring by Miriam Lord and Fitz and O'Toole on either side. Pretty slick. You happy enough with that? that it's an intellectual combination. The three of them wearing kind of smoking jackets, <laughs> having pipes. That could work, Ken. That's uh, something happy for you to think Ken? about there. Just happy to think about it to consider it. Yeah. Okay. Nice one. <laughs> okay thanks so much for listening uh, Owen McDevitt will be back from his holidays next week and we'll be back with two new shows on Thursdays don't forget you can get us on our page that's irishtimes.com forward slash secondcaptains on iTunes the Stitcher app and if you're on Android try the IPP app that's the IPP app email us at secondcaptains at the Irish Times and if you want to tweet the show it's at secondcaptains now let's end end the show with how he started some John Aldridge and this time his reaction to the moment that maybe cost Liverpool the title um, what was that this was from from last night. We've got that. No, no. Oh, no. no. Oh, Aldo, Chelsea, Aldo, Chelsea. Aldo wasn't on commentary uh, yeah, last yeah. night. It was uh, on co-commentary. was Neil Meller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another Neil Liverpool Meller, legend. Yeah. You know, maybe not a, at the, quite the same level as John Aldridge. Cracked one in against Arsenal at the cop, cop end, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's, he a haircut very, he's a haircut that's very similar to Stephen Gerrard as well. Scored yeah. against Olympiacos or something. Yeah. Stephen Gerrard game. So. Came on and changed the game, as I recall. Certainly did. Okay, so this is Aldo's reaction to... Uh, Stephen Gerrard slip and uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday folks
Coutinho now for Liverpool, halfway line. And Sarko. Oh! Gerard slips past, taking it past, running one on one towards the goal. Far against the keeper, he's netted for Chelsea. A slip by Steven Gerrard, a run by Denver Bar, and a finish in front of the cop. And it's silent Stanfield. It's a deflated, isn't it? He's just slipped, Steve. Oh, what a time to slip it. And to happen to Stevie G, has gone through the goalkeeper's legs as well. And... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.